Good afternoon. Welcome to the last uh, seminar of the critical issue for contemporary, contemporary Chinese studies, um, contem for contemporary China, sorry. Um, today, we're very fortunate to have Professor Chen Li from Brookings Institute, institution to talk to us about um, leadership lineup for the 20th Party Congress, which is a topic that is of interest for everyone, I can say. And we are equally honored to have Professor Liz Perry to chair and moderate this session. Um, Liz doesn't need introduction. And so over to you, Liz. Thank you very much, Winnie. It's uh, a real pleasure and a real privilege to uh, help to host this session today for my colleague and uh, friend, Chung Li, a fellow political scientist of China. Um, Chung, as many of you know, was raised in Shanghai, but uh, came to this country in the mid-1980s, studied Asian studies at the University of California at Berkeley, and then went on to Princeton to earn his PhD in politics. He is, in my view, this country's premier Pekinologist and has written a number of uh, extremely informative and often very prescient works about Chinese elite politics. But he's not simply a specialist on elite politics. He's also written some wonderful um, monographs and articles on ordinary Chinese society. When Chung returned to China after a number of years in the United States, he wrote a terrific book called Rediscovering China, a very heartwarming book uh, filled with uh, extremely informative anecdotes about his uh, interactions with Chinese in all different walks of life. And then most recently, um, in this past year, he's written another terrific book about Chinese society entitled Middle Class uh, Shanghai, which is filled not only with fascinating political information about the city of Shanghai and its relationship to elite politics, but also um, fascinating information about higher education in Shanghai and perhaps most notable, uh, a great deal of information about avant-garde in contemporary mm -hmm. Shanghai. So um, I also recommend uh, to you uh, Chung's latest big book, which is intended uh, as a means of improving Sino-American communication by talking about ways in which uh, middle-class uh, people in China's most cosmopolitan city share a lot in common uh, with people in this country. Today, as Professor Yip uh, mentioned, uh, Dr. Li is going to talk to us about uh, personnel changes that he anticipates at the upcoming 20th Party Congress next year. Um, before I turn it over to Chung, let me also um, note that uh, the audience is welcome at any time to submit questions through the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen. Uh, we probably won't have a chance to get to all of the questions, but uh, I will attempt to get to as many as possible. And so feel free at any point when Dr. Lee is speaking to submit your questions. And uh, I may not pose them in precisely the way in which you wrote them down, but I'll do my best to be uh, faithful to the spirit of the questions. 
Um, so without any uh, further hesitation, let me turn this over to Chang Li to talk to us about the upcoming 20th Party Congress. Thanks, Liz, for your very generous introduction. And also thanks for winning for your kind invitation. First, I would like to applaud the Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies and Harvard University Asian Center for your long-standing renowned efforts to promote interdisciplinary area studies and to advance international understanding. For the series on critical issues confronting China, you are also providing a great service for both the scholarly and the public policy communities with your distinct emphasis on comprehensive analysis of China's domestic developments and the challenges. I'm humbled and honored to have a conversation with you, Liz, a fellow Shanghainese whose scholarship has long been an inspiration for me. I truly look forward to answering questions from you and your distinguished audience. In the next 30 to 40 minutes, I will share with you my analysis and forecast of the personnel change or changes at the 20th Party Congress, which will be held next fall. So this is the topic. I will cover three uh, um, um, issues. One is, uh, as Liz said, the technology and um, its capacity and its challenges in the new environment. Then I will uh, talk about the focus on Xi Jinping and uh, talk about uh, his campaigns over the past nine years and also the changes under his um, uh, leadership. Uh, then thirdly, I will talk about the rising stars, uh, especially uh, after the 20th Party Congress. We already can uh, see some of the candidates and uh, their clusters and their characteristics. So I use uh, six C words to uh, organize my uh, presentation. Now, first, uh, we first we should, uh, I will want to explain, I think uh, most of you probably will agree with me, the nature of the Chinese political system. It's the Leninist party state, which means that the party monopolized the power. That's not a secret. This is actually endorsed by the both party constitution and the PRC constitution. And the party control over the army, personnel, media, legal system, and even use. So this is a, a certainly um, a reflect the Chinese political system, um, authoritarian nature of that system. So elite politics, as often being said, is the only game in town. And also Xi Jinping himself actually recently said, the key to the great rejuvenation of a Chinese nation lies in the party. And uh, he talked about the importance of a small number of key officials uh, in his term. This is called Chinese, it's, Guan Jian Sao Su. Uh, it's extremely important uh, from his perspective. Now, let me very quickly mention about the Chinese political, uh, Chinese organizational uh, you know, uh, chart of the party. You know, uh, every five years, they will have a National Party Congress. In that Congress, they will uh, designate two committee or one committee, one commission. The most important one is Central Committee. Uh, the other one is dealing with the corruption and discipline. And the Central Committee 
and will choose um, directly uh, General Secretary, Power Bureau Standing Committee, and the Power Bureau. And the Power Bureau Standing Committee and Power, uh, Power Bureau will choose Secretary. Now, also, the Central Committee will also uh, select the Central Military Commission. Now, for the uh, last party Congress, which was held um, you know, uh, in 2017, you see, uh, this is a look at the composition. China, at that time, four years ago, it's 89 million of Communist Party members. Now, actually, Chinese, just in June, uh, uh, later June, they announced a new number, it's 95 million. Uh, most of the new recruits are college students and young people. Now, also, the Party Congress has a delegates which only met once in these five years. And they also announced in the upcoming party Congress, they will select 2,300, 20 more than the last party Congress in terms of delegates. Then delegates will, uh, in Chinese term, elect or vote. Um, uh, but uh, some of the uh, you know, top leaders, of course, it's already designated by you know, uh, meeting or other meetings by the departing um, Power Bureau Standing Committee. They will select the Central Committee members, including 204 four members and 172. That was the last party Congress, altogether 300, 376 members. These are very, very important uh, uh, political leaders. Uh, they are governors, party, provincial party secretaries, ministers, executive vice minister, military leaders, top elites of the top um, you know, co uh, companies and et cetera. Then 25 of the power group members um, will be from that central committee. The most important leadership body, of course, is a southern member of power group standing committee, then general secretary Xi Jinping. So that's the, 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 the background. Now, we know there's a lot of uh, discussion uh, in China and outside China the perception of the Chinese leadership, especially those commonly held in the West, such as being rigid, opaque, stagnant, ineffective, unpopular, and the winners take all, uh, all have some truths. But it is also important for students of China to recognize that some or even all of this, uh, this conventional wisdom should be subject to more critical, more balanced, and more objective analysis. Otherwise, we really cannot interpret some other phenomenon in China. Now, for example, my research on the subject shows that the Chinese elite politics has not been as opaque as many have assumed. Now, this is the, the, uh, the, the page actually was posted uh, two weeks before the last party Congress, I made a prediction about the, the 12 candidates for the Power Bureau Standing Committee. This is two weeks before. So after they announced, then I added this uh, check. So all these nine on my list, so not too bad. And, uh, and others are also in the Power Bureau. Now, but actually one year ago, I give a talk at the UBC, uh, British Columbia, University of British Columbia, and also later uh, at Yale and some other universities. 
I predict that these are the rising stars that will occupy the seats in Power Bureau Standing Committee and Power Bureau, Xi Jinping's protege. And uh, so particularly, um, of course, all of them are uh, very, very powerful now. Uh, particularly, we, at that time, we did not know it would be five members of Power Bureau Standing Committee, or seven, or nine. And, uh, but uh, I said, if it's five, will be the top five, this top, uh, if I'm one to five. If seven, will be the top seven in this list. If nine, will be these nine people. But uh, of course, later on, we do know that the top nine people, which uh, replaced the previous one, is exactly the top seven I predicted a year earlier in um, you know, October 2016. Now, actually, these two uh, early two photos were sent by my friend, uh, Professor uh, Yifu Tegmar. I do not know how to pronounce his French name. He has a beautiful Chinese name, Xiao Yifu. I believe that he probably is also watching, is watching, he told me, about uh, this um, uh, webinar. So, which means that the, the leadership, despite some degree of opaque nature, we still can predict, we still can analyze. It's not by the internal sources or whatever, uh, like someone uh, but uh, based on their trajectory and et cetera. Now, even uh, uh, the 18th Party Congress, I wrote an article, predicted these seven people, actually got uh, most of them, six of them are correct. The one person I uh, got mistake is Li Yuanzhao. I predicted he will be in the Power Bureau Standing Committee, but actually he ended up only in the Power Bureau. The person replacing him is Yu Zhenzhen from Shanghai. So, uh, so these are the things I just want to make uh, uh, make a point. Not so much that uh, how good I, I you know I was, but rather if you really follow uh, Chinese politics very very closely, you will get a lot of information. You cannot be one hundred percent correct, but largely you can foresee uh, some of the you know leadership lineup. Now also my book, this is a book published um, almost five years ago. Uh, it's a long book, five hundred pages. 84 uh, uh, tables and the charts, 800 footnotes, and uh, 200 Chinese terms. And also in the, there's an index, 600 Chinese leaders is in the index. Now, I mentioned this because this book provided my methodology. How could I find that, uh, you know, made this kind of prediction and also definition of factions and uh, various terms and also detailed sources. Um, these are all can be found. Uh, in this uh, uh, book published uh, five years ago. Now, of course, that uh, I also follow very quickly about um, some of the norms and rules that even apply to the 19th Party Congress before Xi Jinping's decision to abolish the uh, presidential term limits. So these are the um, uh, you know, norms and rules you know, started by Deng Xiaoping in the later years of Deng Xiaoping very much implemented in both Jiang Zemin era and the Fu Jintao era. When it's the age limits, uh, which means that uh, for the 19th Party Congress, those born before 1950 were disqualified from membership on the 19th Party Congress. There's no exception. You know, Wang Jisan uh, was born 1948, so he could not be Central Committee. Uh, so eventually he ended up as Vice President of PRC without Central Committee membership. Now, uh, also that, uh, uh, so really it's applied also for the previous two party Congress. For example, for the 18th party Congress, 
the year was uh, uh, 1940. Then for the, uh, uh, the, the, the later the party congress, I believe that if we follow that line in the 20th party congress will be uh, anyone born 1955 as the cutting age. But this will not stand because as we know, Xi Jinping will be for sure uh, stay on that he was born in 1953. Now, the interesting question is how many exceptions will be? And uh, currently, we still, Chinese leadership change in the next level, provincial level, I will mention, to still follow that. So that's very, very important indication. But also term limits, I think that also largely apply, or mostly 99% apply, uh, in terms of five, I mean, no more than five, I mean, two five-year terms in the same position, and the three five-year terms for at the same level, and uh, of the leadership. So actually now also will be exception that Xi Jinping will start his third term in the party because he, he already uh, got the, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of authorization that he could be the chairman of the uh, president of the PRC for the third term. So that also will be um, changed, but how much change? But currently if you look at provincial leaders, uh, municipal leaders and military leaders, they all follow that, the current, you know, 400, 500, I closely monitor. And most of them actually is only in their first term. And no one, I mean, violated that one, you know, except maybe one or two minority leaders in the provinces. Uh, so other 500 leaders all follow that. There's also the regional bureaucratic representation. During the party Congress, before the party Congress actually, or, and the dueling, that each province has two four membership seats with the exception of Xinjiang and Tibet, they can have three or four seats. Now, of course, after the party Congress, these people, these leaders will be reshuffling. They could be changed, could be three or could be one or could be zero. But uh, during and just a few months or half year before the party Congress, I mean, each province can only present two seats. And the military also has the same number if we look at the past few uh, party Congress, you know, 66. Uh, including 41 four members, 25 alternate. So this kind of norm and routines is largely implemented. Now, party also has a limited elections, uh, particularly from the delegates elected uh, for central committee members, four members and the alternates. So 8% of alternates eliminated and uh, uh, about 10% of the the four members eliminated. Actually, those eliminated include Minister of the Water Resources, Chen Lei, President of the CAS, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, uh, uh, Wang Weiguang, and the Commander of Beijing Military uh, Region, uh, later changed to the Commander of the Northern Theater Commander, uh, Song Fuxian. So that's actually quite prominent people, but they were defeated because the, the limited election, so-called more candidates than seats. Now, this is the age pie of the current 376 members, including four members that are an alternate. As I said, no exception, all born after 1950. Um, a majority of them were born in the 1950s and 1960s. Only two members, 1% were born in the 1970s. So the age plays such an important role in that pie, uh, in that the Chinese leadership composition. And also that uh, I just finished a study, this is also based on my previous study, look at the provincial chief, namely provincial party secretaries, also like the top uh, four cities, Beijing, Shanghai, Tianjin, Chongqing, 
uh, uh, municipal party secretaries and the governors and the city's mayors, altogether 62 people. These are very, very important leadership. But you look at the 2021. I mean, I actually just had the, uh, the number. It's, it's quite astonishing. Uh, 17 out of 27 governors, provincial governors, about 63% were appointed this year. This year. So their average tenure is only less than a year. And uh, party secretary a little bit longer, but still just one year and a six. So it's a very quick reshuffling. So you can expect almost all of these people, you know, with, uh, except a couple of them probably will be defeated in the, in the uh, election. Most of them will be the central committee. So it's the new blood in the next central committee. Now, this is the last party Congress, yellow, color are the new members, blue color are the returning members. You look at these six very important leadership bodies. Uh, this is based on my database. Uh, most of them are new members. The Central Committee, 73%. The Central, Military, Central Disciplinary in, uh, uh, Inspection uh, Commission, 93%. The seven member of the Secretary, all of them are, you know, uh, uh, did not serve in the previous one. And also the Power Bureau, 60%. Power Bureau's uh, standing committee, five out of seven. The military is a little bit less, only 43%. But if you look at the, these are the military, it's really the top seven people, the, uh, the chairman, vice chairman, and the members of Central uh, Military Commission. But if you look at the military members in the Central Committee, 100% out of the members, are first timers. The four members, and uh, also including uh, some of them, uh, six of them, a few of them promoted by previous uh, party uh, alternates, 85%. So altogether, it's 91% of military members. These are the most senior military officers are first time, were first timers. This is even more so than during the Cultural Revolution, like the Biao incident and et cetera, the reshuffling. It's very, very big. Most of them are the young guards, I mean, of Xi Jinping directly promoted. Now, of course, all these things, um, some will continue, some will change because the rule, norm and the rule, some of them already ended or changed during the Xi Jinping era over the past uh, nine years. Uh, certainly, the nine, uh, 2018, the decision to uh, abolish the presidential term limits will have effects on both um, the terms of the party leadership and also the age requirements, as I mentioned earlier. Now, also previously, they maintained some more factional balance uh, or coalition balance, but uh, this also already changed in the 18 and the 19 party Congress. That explains Xi Jinping's uh, consolidation power. I think that uh, the next one also will be dominated by Xi Jinping's protégés. But also previously, we have the Chinese political system had the so-called succession norm and uh, someone called the grandpa decision to like Deng Xiaoping promoted uh, 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 Hu Jintao and Jiang Zemin promoted Xi Jinping, very much like a grandpa, led them to serve at the Power Bureau Standing Committee for five years or 10 years as a kind of a successor in training. Since last party Congress 19, we did not see any indication for successor for the next generation, so the so-called sixth generation. So we don't see that norm will continue. And also previously, especially under Hu Jintao, general secretary uh, is considered as the first among equals. 
in Fuji Tower's term, the ban down like a monitor. But now that term is job, Xi Jinping certainly is way above the other six members of the Power Bureau Standing Committee. And also these six members of the Standing Committee need to have an annual debriefing report. And Xi Jinping will comment on their performance. So the relationship profoundly changed uh, the, uh, uh, over the past few years. Now, this is I mentioned about the factional balance or coalition balance. It's really, it's not uh, like before. And uh, I do not want to go too uh, early because you can look at the, uh, the, the 10 years ago, it's a different picture, right? But uh, 18th Party Congress, 19th Party Congress all change. And uh, you can look at that uh, uh, Xi Jinping's protege. This is only part of them, not the whole in the Power Bureau Standing Committee and Power Bureau, largely based on his uh, um, tie, uh, you know, strong ties in the local, the service in, the, uh, in these localities. Now, I do not want to go into details. Now, what can we expect? What do we know or we do not know at this point? So I put the two columns. The left is expected. I think it's almost for sure, a third term and the further power consolidation for Xi Jinping. And also, it's, it's almost for sure, six generation leaders will enter the Power Bureau Standing Committee. How many? We do not know. My prediction will somewhere between three to four. And uh, so six generation also included um, anyone born 1959, because uh, this is one year difference. Sometimes the Chinese are usually uh, used as an exception. And uh, actually, the recent provincial leadership changes a lot of them was born 1969 you know uh, that become a, a provincial uh, senior leaders now also first timers will likely constitute half of the new power bureau these 25 people half of them or more than half of them will be first timers and also i believe a few exceptions for age will likely be made for both retirement the person supposed to retire but they will get exceptions stay on and those should be reappointed uh, because the age, in term age is qualified, will not be reappointed. And uh, also the turnover rate on the central committee will remain high, but a little bit lower than the previous central committee uh, in the 19th party Congress. Uh, it's really extraordinarily high, but the next one will be a little bit less. Now, the next one is uh, unclear for now. Any indication about a possible successor? Unlikely will be identified, but I'm not 100% sure. So that's why I put it unclear. And who will be in and out of the Power Bureau Standing Committee? A lot of question mark. Uh, Li Keqiang, uh, almost for sure, will not be the third term premier because uh, still term limits, two term limits apply for premier. So who will be the next premier? It's a big question. Li Keqiang may stay on uh, as a Power Bureau Standing Committee member. If so, he probably will become chairman of the National People's Congress, but we still do not know whether he will retire or not. Who will be the next PRC vice president? It's almost for sure Wang Jisan will step down. Who will constitute the top team for financial and economic, foreign affairs, and the military? Actually, by the way, these three terms, actually, three teams, as I will share, um, most of the, the top people already up to age. They are supposed to retire, but again, one or two could be exception to stay on. Who will be the female and ethnic minority members of the Power Bureau? 
I mean, we heard that actually the recent announcement that they, they will talk about uh, promote more female and ethnic minority, but they look at my data pool, not so many uh, candidates in this regard, right? Now, in the central committee, my prediction is will be somewhere between 65 to 68% will be new members. So will be still very high, but it will be a little bit low than the last one. Now, also I do need to mention um, these figures, these numbers, including those from alternate promoted to four members, I also consider them as new. But if we, uh, like my friend, uh, Joseph, uh, uh, Joe Phil Smith always said that if we should delete the, those from the uh, alternate member to four member. Now he has a good point, but if we do, do so, still will be just a 10% or 12, between 10 to 12% less. So still significant. If not to be 75%, Still will be 63%. If we're not this time, we'll not be 68%, we'll be probably 65% or so, um, you know, or 55% or so. So it's still very significant, a very high leadership turnover. Now, why I could say that? Because my database already show 46% of them, 173, the current Central Committee member, 19 Central Committee members, already retired to the to less important position, to the symbolic position, ceremonial position, 46%. Two of, I mean, four of them die, two of them uh, purge. So this is already, I mean, about 7, 48%. So you plus those who still do not know, and some of them will be also uh, uh, will retire. So that's where I got my number. So these are not just a pure, just a guess, a lot of data supporting that. Now, interesting things, the current seven member of the Sparrow Standing Committee, you ask me who will stay, who will retire? Of course, one person uh, for sure will stay is Xi Jinping. I actually say only one person will for sure retire will be current number three person, Li Zansu. But uh, also interestingly, he could succeed Wang Qishan, become the vice chairman of the PRC. Other five, to be honest, I don't know. I don't, I don't think at this point anyone knows. And um, of course, Taoloji may more likely because this is younger, but still do not know. My view is uh, three or maybe even more of them will retire. But the question is, we just do not know who. That's the challenge. Now, who will be the next premier? I put the four top candidates. Um, uh, um, Han Zhen and uh, Liu He, both are current vice um, premier. Han Zhen is executive vice premier. In terms of age, they are you know, not born 1955 or younger. But uh, I think for the continuity of the financial economic stability and, um, and the continuity and the stability for both domestic uh, you know, reason and for international reason, I think that one of them probably will stay on. Uh, again, this is a guess. Uh, but at the same time, um, two other leading candidates from younger generation, Li Chang and Fu Chunhua. Fu Chunhua currently already uh, vice premier. The, the only uh, vice premier um, is born in 1960s. Or someone else, surprise. So these are the top candidates. It's very interesting to see who will be, right? Now, but the, just the last Liangui in March, uh, they did a very interesting decision to allow the standing committee of the National People's Congress to uh, uh, appoint in their, in their quarterly meeting or by 
bi-monthly meeting, appoint someone to be vice premier, you do not need to go to the every March. So this is certainly good news for those, some of the people who currently not the vice premier, maybe promoted as vice premier for a few months, then uh, become premier. Because previous norms is all the vice premiers, all the premiers previously served as vice premier, except the own life, the first premier. Now, this is how I mentioned earlier, the three important teams, you look at their age. Uh, uh, they are all born before 1955, except Li, Li Keqiang has to uh, step down because term limits. So my view is probably one or two of them will be exception, probably one. But if that's the case, it will be financial economic team. And I think all top three military officers will, uh, will retire. Uh, there are a lot of people uh, already line up to succeed them. Uh, now, also the challenge, as we know, there's some incidents in the past couple of years. It's quite astonishing. You know, this is a political season. Chinese said the doors to Zichou, there are some of the uh, events, purges or arrests related with elite politics, infighting, that's not a secret. Now, of course, I do not want to say that it will be like a 10 years ago. 10 years ago is different in a unique period. You heard Bo Xilai, Lin Jihua, Zhou Yongkang, many others. I don't think we are going to see that level. But maybe five years ago, the purge of Sun Zhengcai, you know, it's still very uh, recent. But that's really far less scale compared with 10 years ago. Now, these are the incidents, certainly not even in the Sun Zhengcai level, but quite interesting because some of them are well-connected, including the arrest of Ren Zichang, a prominent princeling critic, arrested in March last year. Then two Shanghai gang members on the, on the right column. One is the Vice Minister of Public Security, a domestic career from Shanghai, Sun Jun. The other is the former Shanghai mayor and the police chief, uh, Gong Dao An. Both are members of Shanghai gang uh, arrested. Then also you look at the, the bottom, the two very important, well-connected figures are recently uh, arrested. One is Dong Hong, and uh, previously is a senior official in the anti-corruption uh, establishment. The other is Chen Feng, powerful chairman of the Hainan Airlines group, also arrested. There are a lot of peculiar things happening uh, regarding Hainan Airlines. Uh, so these are the things we should keep eyes on it, but I do not want to exaggerate to say everything um, will be, uh, you know, will be leading towards a, a major, major crisis. But uh, we still need to monitor all this uh, development. It could be related with elite politics. But I, my view is probably deal, most of these cases deal already made before they are arrested or purged. Now, the next one is Xi Jinping campaign and the change. Now, Xi Jinping, uh, especially from Chinese per perspective, did a lot of things uh, over the past nine to 10 years. He launched a bold, big, and broad anti-corruption campaign, you know, purchased 440 senior leaders, vice provincial and vice minister level, or army level, the you know, uh, level or above, including about 80 major generals or above. A lot of generals. So Chinese joke is the civil war only lost two generals, but uh, the, 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 this is uh, China's in 19, later 40s. I mean, or, or anti-Japanese war, someone said. Um, but uh, now 80 major generals. I mean, a lot of them actually the lieutenant and four generals purge. 42 members of the 18th Central Committee purge. And uh, relatively speaking, 19 party Congress is better. Only two members 
uh, purged. Uh, Xi Jinping also launched a large-scale military reform, really had a profound change in Chinese military. Three things, uh, moving away from the Russian model to the American model with joint operation, emphasis on Navy and Air Force, control of uh, you know, the commando system directly, uh, not by two levels, by the uh, older departments, and also promote the young guards. And also cohesive campaigns uh, against Taiwan certainly got a lot of international attention. Chinese nationalism is on the rise. Strong poverty elimination, or you know, uh, elimination actually should be elimination campaign. Um, uh, it's quite impressive. And the draconian measures, and uh, certainly it's a controversial international uh, domain. Even domestically, they, there's some concern to control COVID-19 spread, but so far it's effective in the country. And the green development campaign, you know, just to give you a mention example, um, 2008, before Xi Jinping became top leader, 16 most, most polluted cities in the world located in China. But 10 years later, 2018, the number of Chinese uh, most polluted uh, cities in this 20 reduced to two. Uh, instead, 15 most polluted cities located in India. So Xi Jinping wants to get credit for that. And finally, it's a new proactive foreign policy, certainly very controversial in the international domain, but domestically, people applaud Belt Road Initiative, AIIB, and China's Global Partner Network, various forms. Now, in terms of anti-corruption campaign, it's really remarkable. These top five people, including Power Standing Committee in the, in the security, the four senior officers, I mean, the most senior officers, including two vice chairmen of CMC, all purged including the person in charge of the military operation, in charge of personnel or propaganda, purge. So that's how strong, how bold, you know, uh, could be. Now into poverty elimination, of course, Xi Jinping did not start that. Deng Xiaoping and Jiang Zemin, Hu Jintao all contributed to that. But look at the past nine years under Xi Jinping's watch, it's a drastic uh, increase of the budget. So certainly he want to claim that he completed the most difficult part into poverty elimination, want to position himself as the man of the people. These photos certainly also show this kind of populist approach, moving away from the princely image, particularly his recent call for common prosperity. Now, let me also mention uh, if for uh, some of the previous factions I would mention also further uh, in, in a couple of minutes, uh, is uh, replaced. What are Xi Jinping's power bases? Previously, he based on princely, so-called the red nobility, but not anymore. I mean, actually he changed that even a few years ago or maybe um, five or six uh, years ago. So his policies and confidence are now largely the provincial leadership from his colleagues, associates from Hebei, Fujian, Zhejiang, and Shanghai, especially from Zhejiang, I'm going to back to that topic. The also the so-called Shanxi Gang, because as we know that his father advanced his career from Shanxi, his family. He also spent uh, six or seven years as a set-down youth. Uh, he had some fellow colleagues, you know, he met at that time, uh, including Wang Qishan, including Wang Chen. Uh, currently, uh, Wang Chen is a power view member. So this is uh, Xi Jinping's power base. And also military, as we know, Xi Jinping served as a Mi Su himself for DOD Secretary, China's Defense Minister, 
for two or three years. So he met some of the senior officers and uh, developed a long-term relation. But more importantly, uh, he promoted a lot of young guards, newly promoted, as I mentioned earlier. The other is he has a lot of me Su himself, the office general office, uh, office director, chief of staff, and uh, his personal omisu. I don't want to go detail a lot of them, and etc. These are the, his power base. Now, the previous major factions like Princelings significantly reduced. Uh, you see from 18th Party Congress, eight of, nine of them, to the last Party Congress, only four. And uh, I predict the next Party Congress you know, in a year, probably only two. You know, of course, uh, Xi Jinping is for sure. Whether Xiao Jie will enter the power bureau, I do not know. And uh, so that's the Princeling Tai Zidang reduced significantly. But even Tuan Pai, his rival, Fu Jintao's protege, also significantly reduced from the power bureau, 18 to 6 to 3. Now, I predict probably only one or maybe two if Wang Yang stay on. So that's the situation. Right. And uh, so these are two powerful factions now really significantly weaken. Now, this is an interesting um, uh, uh, um, the chart. This is an exam of the 62 provincial chiefs, 62 very prominent leaders. You can see under Fu Jintao, his protege, Pan Pai, increased. And they reached the peak you know, a year after he retired because there's a time uh, stay on, leg on. But then under Xi Jinping, they are quickly dropped. Uh, a lot of purges are the Pan Pai leaders. So at now, only one person, 1.6%. So this is talk about Xi Jinping's consolidating power the change of factional dynamics in China. Now, let me move to the last topic, the rising stars, clusters, and the characteristics. I think probably the most interesting part for many uh, China watchers. These are the leaders I predict will be very, very important. The top four will be the strongest candidates for the next Power Bureau Standing Committee, whether it be seven or nine, and um, uh, chances for three or all of them uh, get the seats is pretty high. The next level is the nine leaders I identify. I wish I had more space. I can a couple more. And uh, these will be the leading candidates for you know, the, the 13 or, or 12 seats vacant. Maybe, maybe even 14 or 15 seats. We do not know yet in the Power Bureau, right? Uh, uh, this including... Yuan uh, Jiajun, uh, I'm going to talk in just a few minutes. Uh, Guangdong Governor Ma Xinrui and uh, Beijing Mayor uh, Chen Jining. I also will elaborate on him. Uh, Shanghai Mayor Gong Zhen and uh, Liaoning Party Secretary uh, Dang Guoqing and uh, Hunan Party Secretary Dang Qingwei. And uh, only woman and candidate from my database, Chen Yiqing and uh, Guizhou Party Secretary and uh, Li Sulei. Uh, who uh, was really the brand, one of the you know, advisors for Xi Jinping, uh, advancing career from the Central Party School. And, um, um, and also another person is uh, Zhang Jingquan. He actually made all the documents of the preparation for the Central, uh, for the next party Congress. And uh, he is the previous deputy of Wang Funing, but highly likely he will enter the power bureau, at least from, for the secretary. And he's currently already director of a policy research center, research office, the position Wang Funing used to uh, 
whole. Now, let me very quickly mention several major fourth faction of fourth, uh, uh, fourth lines at the next party Congress. I believe the post of a provincial party secretary is still a major stepping stone uh, for the national leadership. But the provincial leadership experience is less predominant. Uh, some of them just serve very quickly for two or three years from the other areas, then move up. Not like previously, those people spend the entire their life before move to center, serve as the uh, uh, local leaders in the county, in the municipal, pre uh, prefectural, and provincial. And, uh, but that it will change. And those leaders primarily advance their early careers in SOEs, state-owned enterprises, especially in the aerospace industry, and also university administrations and the government think tank will constitute distinctive class, uh, clusters, the new elite groups. Some of them have um, uh, you know, briefly served as the top provincial leaders, but that's only just a, more like a symbolic for two or three years. Uh, uh, more or less. And also, the major faction competition will likely occur among Xi Jinping's protégés, notably within the powerful Zhejiang, Zhejiang Gang. There's so many people from Zhejiang will, be, will advance, but still the seats is limited. So internal infighting between Zhejiang leaders, Xi Jinping's protégés will be interesting phenomenon to, to look. And finally, leaders with Shanghai backgrounds especially those who establish strong ties with Xi Jinping will likely take many important positions. Now, Xi Jinping is not a Shanghai Gang member, although he spent eight months before he moved to the Beijing to be the vice chairman and the successor designate uh, in Shanghai. But during these eight months, he developed a lot of very strong ties with Shanghai leaders. And also two previous Shanghai Gang leaders, Jiang Zemin and Zheng Qinghong, really play important role to promote Xi Jinping, endorse Xi Jinping. So the relationship is very interesting. But of course, Xi Jinping at the same time, you know, do not uh, want to let uh, Shanghai Gang continue to expand. So he wanted his own people combined with some of the Shanghai Gang people to change the nature of Shanghai political leaders. But it's interesting development, how that will unfold. Now, let me mention very quickly, I only have a few more minutes. Uh, when is the, this is the type uh, the pie, uh, the the charts I made? I think that the reflect that the provincial chief position, provincial party secretary and the governors are stepping stone. About uh, three quarters of the power members, particularly the, in the 17 and the 18 party congress, previously served as uh, you know power members served as a provincial chief. But the last party congress still see some reduce. I think it will be further reduced this time, and. Um, now, let me mention only three rising stars. I think their experience could be exemplary. Uh, one is from the aerospace industry. One is from university. The other is from think tank. As I mentioned, these are the three uh, clusters uh, will be very, very important. And of course, there's the, some of the party ideologues also will uh, remain some. I do not want to get the impression all of them like them, but these are two people, three groups are very, very prominent. I think you will see some of them will advance. And um, when is, I, I would not be surprised in five years, six years, uh, one of them will become premier of China. And uh, now, uh, uh, Yuan Jiajun, he advanced his career. He studied you know, aerospace uh, aviation. You can see, look at his uh, 
the school background in Beihang. And then also he was a visiting scholar in Germany uh, for a year. He really played a leadership role in aerospace. He is a commander-in-chief or deputy commander-in-chief in like the, the, the Shenzhou Yihao spacecraft system and then China's main space engineering program, China's lunar exploration projects. These are real, real uh, aerospace projects. He served as the top leaders. But then after that, he moved to the provincial leadership and uh, uh, in first in, uh, of course, also served as the, some of the very important uh, companies for a while, uh, corporations and uh, research institute, then become vice governor of Ningxia very briefly, then uh, executive vice governor of Zhejiang and the governor of Zhejiang. Now he is a party secretary of Zhejiang. Now, the next one is Beijing mayor, also from uh, Dongbei. Um, he studied, um, uh, got his undergraduate and graduate from Tsinghua, then went to um, London to study in the Imperial College and got his PhD in environmental system analysis. He actually spent in, um, altogether 10 years in London. And, uh, and also after that, he returned to Tsinghua, served as department chair, vice chairman chair, and president, vice president, president then move on to be the Minister of Environment Protection and currently Mayor of Beijing. So he is a very perfect person to deal with the climate change issues in China. Uh, so he probably will further get the promotion. The last person is um, Ying Li. Um, he is a currently Fujian Party Secretary. Um, his educational background is largely in the medicine and also got his MD and in Shandong Medical School and then also PhD in Russia um, in terms of public health. Uh, and also some a visiting scholar at Harvard. I think it's, a, it's not in the Kennedy Center or not in the Fairbank or Asia Center. I think it's in the Public Health uh, Research Institute. I mean, whatever it's called, I do not know. I forgot. But also this is for a year. So it's not a, uh, that's a, I'm familiar with Harvard. He served as vice chairman of the executive committee of WHO. And then he, advanced career, early career, really in the think tank environment, um, like the particularly think tank under the state council uh, for 10 years, if not longer, then also move on to be an officer in the public health and um, ministry, and uh, including the director of state food and drug safety. So he is expert expert in this area. He served as governor of Sichuan, and then now Provincial Party Secretary of Fujian, very important provincial leadership. So he is also on the rise. So all these three people represent different uh, clusters. Finally, this is my one of the last uh, um, charts or the picture I want to show about the Shanghai born leaders or leaders with Shanghai experience. Look at the history; they always play very very important role. But uh, my prediction is, next Party Congress, you will see. Um, even stronger, if it's nine members, will be five. If it's seven, probably three, you know. And uh, so that's prediction. You look at uh, this, you know, Xi Jinping for sure, Han Zheng I mentioned could be a possibility, and uh, Ding Xuexiang, uh, Li Qiang, and uh, Li Xi also serve as the Deputy Party Secretary, Organizing Department head in Shanghai for many years, and currently Guangdong Party Secretary. So these are the, uh, the importance of Shanghai. And actually my book, this mentioned about the middle-class Shanghai, there's one chapter, a long chapter 
about the Shanghai leadership, their characteristics, their style, how they differ from other regions. And, uh, and also I'm working on another book, Xi Jinping's protege, Rising Elite Group in the Chinese Leadership. We'll elaborate these three groups and more uh, in this forthcoming book. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, Tarby, I should already very long. Liz, over to you. Okay, thank you so much uh, for a really informative, very, very rich talk and very lively talk, uh, Chang. Let me um, lead off with a question or two of my own, and then we already have a number um, that have come through the Q&A that I'll try to get to as well. Um, so let me ask you a question of kind of how you assess the caliber and strength of this emerging uh, set of leaders that you talked about. You know, at the end, it, these look like very impressive individuals, PhDs from London and elsewhere, um, times um, uh, that they spent at Harvard University and, and the like, um, people who have uh, strong careers in aerospace, think tanks, universities, um, people who come from Shanghai cosmopolitan uh, connections, um, people who've served in Zhejiang, another really um, progressive um, area. And I think about that, and I, I don't know if you've had a chance to read the forthcoming book by Victor Xi. Um, it's, uh, it's due out in April. And uh, Victor entitles his book, Coalitions of the Week. And uh, it's a fascinating book in which he looks at um, the way in which Mao, after the Great Leap Forward, developed what he calls a coalition of a lot of other weak leaders to surround him because Mao felt actually quite insecure about his own status at that time and so wanted to have other leaders in the Politburo and the Standing Committee um, who were compromised in some way or who didn't have independent political networks and therefore he could really control. And Victor in his book suggests that she also has been developing a coalition of the weak as what he presumes is a kind of expression of Xi's own sense of insecurity vis-a-vis -vis the elite. On the one hand, we've seen this really impressive purge of the military and other sectors, the uh, anti-corruption drive that's gotten rid of many of the pre-existing factions and so forth. But according to Victor's analysis, then the leaders who've been promoted um, have very weak political networks. So they may look really impressive in terms of educational credentials or other kinds of um, um, uh, aspects of their resume, but in terms of politics, they're not in a position to challenge the leader. And Victor argues that that buys short-term security for the leader, especially as the leader, leader is aging and becomes less um, secure about their own power and uh, more concerned about the possibility of younger potential challengers um, rising up. But he believes that it's also a fundamental vulnerability for the system, that if a leader starts doing that, and surrounds himself with a coalition of the weak, that he's opening the door in the future to the top leadership not really being able to effectively deal with major policy challenges. And um, so he sees that as, um, doesn't give the exact time frame, um, and it would clearly depend on 
various kinds of crises, either domestic or international. But, but I would be interested in your thoughts about that, whether you see Xi as building this coalition of the week, whether you see these folks from Shanghai, Zhejiang with these impressive academic credentials as a kind of coalition of competence and strength, or one that has a certain kind of vulnerability that ultimately may create some real problems. Okay, uh, this is certainly it's an excellent question. I haven't look, uh, read uh, Victor's uh, uh, work, but I'm going to read that book. Um, this is a, a certainly varied um, point. Uh, I uh, still uh, disagree that kind of analysis, but I wanted to do mention that there's a sheer concern even within China. Some people uh, said that those leaders who did not have strong provincial experience, they may not be tough enough to deal with some of the uh, you know, challenges. Those from the glass loose, it's really a struggle to the top. But uh, I mean, the three leaders mentioned, it's uh, you know, from elsewhere. But uh, here I want to make uh, three points. First of all, I mentioned three, these three examples. As I said, these are example, the three groups are mentioned, but my book actually will mention other groups, including remaining groups, uh, including people who have a different background, have no foreign education, no foreign experience. It's a work in the ideology sector, uh, look at the something. So these two, their relationship is interesting. But the one point I want to mention, Xi Jinping at least at the moment, uh, still rely on, uh, at least partially, maybe also significantly, from people like uh, Liu He, who got a PhD, uh, got an M, uh, you know, MPA from Harvard, and also the forthcoming people like the three leaders I mentioned. Now, this is number two. Number three, those uh, uh, from the technical or technocratic or uh, science background, uh, they may not necessarily weak. Just to give you background, those from company, I mean, Li Peng uh, actually advanced his career from not so much early on in the, in the provincial uh, uh, things. And Zhu Rongji is also technocrat. And both of them are tough in different ways. And besides, we should not forget that Xi Jinping was considered as a weak leader before he became uh, <laughs> the number one. We do not know. Um, again, their personality is very, very important. It's very difficult to generalization. Those got high education, PhD, may not be tough enough to deal with challenges. And also, we really do not know uh, that uh, whether at the moment um, they consider as uh, relatively not as strong, but the things could change very quickly, right? Uh, they need to be tested. They will be tested, or some or people keep a low profile. This exactly happened to Xi Jinping early on. But the, some of the, the things that we, you know, uh, follow actually show their kind of educational caliber and also some other kind of skills. But at one point, I think at least you agree, the important is the diversity of the background, the experience, not just the monolithic kind of career uh, path. It's very, very important. So in that, I think the three new groups contribute to the process. Now, Princeton has its strengths, Tuan Pai has its strengths, but they also have the weaknesses. But my point is, China entered a new kind of phase of the elite politics. Some of them still um, there, 
some of them reduce their significance, but uh, we do need to look at the future trajectory, the pattern, the composition. So my discussion, it's not entirely say that the view by Victor and also I think it's a good point, excellent point, but I just want to modify, you know, it's far too early to have the generalization to say that definitely weak, Xi Jinping only uh, promote weak leaders. And, uh, but again, you, you cannot, Xi Jinping certainly does not like a kingmakers like a Liu Yuan, you know, in the military, Liu Shaoqi's son. He certainly sometimes, but on the other hand, we should not forget in his first term, he used Wang Jishan. They play a very, very important role. Wang Jishan is a very strong leader, right? That's true. So that's, that's, that's my answer to your excellent question. Although yeah. Victor argues that um, she could have kept uh, Wang on the standing committee despite the age limit, um, but didn't do so um, in part because he didn't want such a charismatic. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, one can argue this, I guess, in, in both directions. But, but let me turn to, since you talked about the importance of diversity and composition of this, Several um, of the members of the audience um, could not help but be struck uh, with the virtually all-male uh, lineup, uh, uh, certainly all-male in the past, and only one, uh, I guess, uh, provincial party secretary of, um, of uh, Guizhou, is it? Um, yes, Guizhou. Um, you know, uh, Chen Yiching. My, Chen Yiching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and so, and so, several of the questions asked about the lack of both um, women and uh, ethnic minorities in the top leadership, and whether this is a problem for the party, how the party explains this, and whether um, ordinary people see this as a kind of problem or a weakness of the uh, party. Well, I see it's it's a problem. Uh, it's a still. Um, I do not have sufficient information to know how Chinese, the public can see that, uh, whether it's a problem or not. I certainly, um, uh, working in this study for a long time, I believe that's a problem. I think diversity is important. And uh, now, um, so you see that the, my book uh, document, uh, you know, uh, in the different levels on the female representation and et cetera. But uh, I also need to mention, um, to emphasize gender balance is still a relative thing, even in Western democracies. And uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's a different picture. Um, in some of the cooperations in, in the corporate America, it's still not balanced at all. Why? And uh, so if we, democracy, Western countries also face some challenges and uh, only the achievements made in recent years. So sometimes we may need to put in that perspective. Now, uh, there's some welcome development on the minority issues. I certainly hope there will be minority one or two enter the Power Bureau. But uh, the candidates, actually I have also have a, a, you know, a, a, a written on that subject. I'm going to write more on that subject. But they are, at the moment, the pool is not as strong because you do need to prepare them. But the good thing is even in these five minority regions, there's a law indicate the governor or chairman of uh, the, the government side should be minority. The party secretary, number one person, usually it's Han, or almost, almost uh, all Han. 
but the number two percent is a minority. So that's already become part of the law um, implemented. I think, uh, uh, for example, that um, they just uh, appointed uh, another Tibetan, um, although he has a uh, like Chinese-like name, but it's Tibetan, and uh, uh, to be the chairman, just like a governor. The same things with Xinjiang, uh, it's a relatively young member. Uh, also in the prefecture level and lower, it's the same thing. This is a Chinese law adopted a couple of decades ago. Now for women, uh, certainly it's not so encouraging. Um, this uh, in China's history is that no woman ever served on a power standing committee. Previously, there are two, I mean, it's not the last party, not the current one, but the last one, there are two uh, females in the power bureau, but not only one, right? I think this time probably it's also just a one. But the encouraging thing is because Chinese leadership recruitment heavily emphasized on um, your educational background. But the educational trajectory show actually women constitute more in terms of undergraduate and also women constitute like a, um, you know, MA degrees, probably it's very close to half, 38% of PhDs are women. So I think this is encouraging development. As time goes on, there will be more demand at the bigger pool to select talented women. I think, I hope that will be fixed uh, uh, in the future, but uh, I think it's a problem. I'm not too optimistic for this party Congress. I certainly, Destructed that the last party Congress, the Power Bureau, standing Power Bureau, even no minority member. I mean, the current one. Uh, so I, let's see. Because uh, when the preparation document that they just announced said that they will put emphasis on women and minority, let's see whether there's a lip service or there's a real effort to make that happen. Let me ask you about another kind of diversity also that several members of the uh, audience raised, and that is diversity of views, policy differences. Um, do you think there is still room for debate on issues in the uh, Standing Committee of the Politburo, or has Xi Jinping's success at stamping out um, potentially rival factions also um, had a kind of deadening effect on the ability of people to raise alternative views and for there to be any kind of robust discussion at the highest levels? Well, uh, this is an excellent question. At the surface, you do not see any debate. And um, but previously, even before Xi Jinping, the factional check and balance, it's, uh, uh, it's not illegal, not completely of uh, you know, clear, transparent at all. But on the other hand, you ask a taxi driver, they will tell you which leader represents, I mean, which faction. And usually um, uh, those who from the inland region uh, have the more policy leading towards inland region, those from coastal region leading towards policy for coastal region. Shanghai, you see Chen Yangyu, the former party secretary, challenged Xi Jinping, uh, Hu Jintao, Wen Jiabao's macroeconomic policy and et cetera. Uh, you do still see the debate about the property, uh, uh, how serious is that the issue, even now. Uh, so it's subtle. You should read about a uh, uh, between line. So it's a lack of full transparency, but it will be uh, self-deceiving for us overseas observers to 
think that Chinese leadership is a monolithic group with the same ideas, same background, same views, same policy reference, uh, uh, preferences. No, they are not. I mean, uh, there's this tremendous indication show there are a lot of differences. Now, what is remarkable things is by, by Xi Jinping, sometimes he comes from Prinsling background, but he's tried to surprise others by moving away from Prinsling to become, present him as a man of the people by anti-corruption, by many other things. Now, this is also true that we do need to be flexible to see, but that change itself reflects tremendous pressure on Chinese societal force because Chinese leaders, including Wang Jisai, including uh, other senior leaders mentioned, China has public opinion too. We should not forget when February 2020, when Dr. Li Mengliang whistleblower uh, the case, there's a real crisis, real challenge. But that's a long time ago. Why? So you do need to respond. Uh, again, it is uh, uh, just a, I mean, self-deceiving, they say these are all the same. They're only just a yes, yes man follow the policies. Of course, at the moment, there's a very strong tight con uh, control. There's no question there's a personality cut. But the backlash is also there. Uh, again, these are the well-informed people and uh, relative speaking, many of them are very capable people. They know what we are talking about. And also I mentioned, even within the Zhejiang game, they have a lot of different you know, things. At the moment, maybe it's more for power, but also power will link to policies, link to social group, interest groups. Particularly, it's noticeable that the people like Yuan Jiajun I just mentioned, he mentioned common prosperity. The key word is prosperity. It's not anti-private sector. But you also see some other leaders just to be very cynical about this private sector. They emphasize on equality. So that's the interesting you know, difference. We could, we do have a, you know, reasonably good information to show their differences, some tensions. Over to you, yeah. Okay, um, also you mentioned the, um... Uh, a large number of um, very prominent people who have been uh, purged or attacked during the anti-corruption campaign and uh, leaving the question of what influence this really has on the elite. And uh, a question that also came up in the uh, Q&A was whether the recent accusations by Peng Shui, the tennis star, against uh, Zhang Gaoli, a former member of the Politburo, um, whether that has any chance, do you think, of also affecting the image or the standing of the political elite in, um, uh, in, the, in the popular uh, opinion? Sure, I will happy happy answer the second question. But the first question, I just missed it. I just uh, saw just a fun question to me. So could you repeat the first question? Um, the first question. Uh, so yeah. the, uh, the question about Peng Shui. No, the, 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 I know that question. But the first question, the early one, you said that you had two questions, right? When is oh, Peng Shui? My, my own earlier questions. My, yeah. my own earlier question was actually going to be about um, Gong Tong Fu Yu. And uh, you I answered it, really. It was going to okay. be kind of about 
um, what it really means, what common prosperity really means, and whether there are different interpretations. Okay, of, okay. And okay. along what okay. lines you think yeah. it develops. So yeah. you've actually gotten okay. Um, okay. Okay. to okay. that. Um, okay. And okay. I have a number of others too, but I'll yeah. set them. So let me quickly answer Peng's <laughs> question. I, this is an important question. Uh, actually, I was approached by many people, uh, journalists, to, uh, for that one, but I actually declined because I do not have enough information what's going on. So I do not want to spare rumor. Financial Times still quote me because I was the person who wrote the profile of Zhang Gaoli, a bios of Zhang Gaoli uh, in Wikipedia. That's why the, the reason that why they always approach me. Now, there's no question for me. Zhang Gaoli uh, advanced career from his strong ties with uh, some of the people like uh, Zheng Qinghong, like, uh, like uh, 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 Zhang Zemin. So he is a part of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zhang Zemin, Zheng Qinghong's coalition. Also, he advanced from the Shenzhen and the etc. later Tianjin. This is, you can see the, the trajectory. Uh, so whether this is related with someone wanted to use that case uh, for factional reason, again, I do not have sufficient information to answer that question. It's possible, but uh, um, the, the, the things is that um, particularly when, why uh, this, uh, uh, her Twitter lasted for, you know, at least uh, 30 minutes because the Chinese, uh, you know, machine reading things can crack down very quickly. But even that uh, story also spread not crack down for a few days. That gave you some kind of indication maybe related with the factional politics, but uh, on the other hand, the Chinese interpretation, this is Western anti-China forces use that case to try to boycott, mobilize sources to you know, boycott the Olympics. So at least the current discourse in China uh, is centered around that narrative. But that narrative will play a very, very important role. Even someone wanted to play the politics, elite politics will not uh, continue to play around that. So that's actually interesting to uh, see this kind of foreign uh, interpretation actually have the impact and the trajectory or discourse or narrative in China. It's a fascinating to see that the kind of dynamics. So again, um, it's possible, but I do not have sufficient information even, uh, but I just say uh, it is true based on my early study of Zhang Gaoli, he is a part of that faction or coalition. Um, I think we're almost at time. So I'm just going to ask you one final question that uh, a couple of the members of our audience raised, and that is um, whether you think Xi Jinping will be known as chairman of the Communist Party uh, in the future, or um, will he continue to be primarily uh, known as the general secretary of the party? Well, I do not see an initiative for uh, the next year's party congress for change the t title from general secretary to chairman, uh, unless there will be a surprise move. So I do not want to count on that. I, I just more the outside speculation. I cannot predict uh, six years ago, six years later, you know, who's, who knows? But I think there's no incentive at this point to change that uh, title. And there's no narrative from Chinese official documents uh, to do so. And uh, so I'm, uh, I'm not convinced that will be the move. And since he's already chair of state, yeah, 
him. He's yeah. already he's already yeah. a Zhu Xi. Uh, does yeah. he? Yeah, to be a double yeah, double Yeah, uh, <laughs> because you open some things with so, so much, uh, you know, capital to spend on that unnecessary things. You know, and also look at China's history. You know, Bill knows. I wait to see him on the screen that the Mao Zedong wanted to, uh, uh, you know, uh, use that to change with chairman. With this, this is a leader to the the serious problem with Lin Biao. You know, certainly uh, that the term. I mean, this Chinese will immediately sense that. So what's the point? I don't uh, see the rationale. I could be wrong, but uh, at this point, at least from the do Chinese document, Chinese uh, narrative, I follow very, very closely, do not see that's uh, any indication, yeah. And so far, Chang, you have a much better track record in predicting uh, <laughs> elite changes in China than most of us have in predicting American-US elections. <laughs> well, so so congratulations <laughs> on your uh, track record to date, and uh, we'll all be uh, holding up your predictions um, against the lineup at the 20th Party Congress. And I thank you very much for uh, a really informative and uh, and very fascinating discussion today. Thank you. Thank so, you so much, Liz. And thanks. thank you for all the excellent questions. Thank uh, you for Bill and uh, Winnie. Yeah, great. great. And thank you for your gracious comments at the beginning about the uh, Fairbank Center for Chinese sure. Studies. I think sure. all of us at the Fairbank Center are very grateful for that. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah. uh, thanks to everyone for yeah. this time.